Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Chapter 21, I want to read a few verses of scripture there here this evening. <clears throat> Starting with verse number 7 of Job 21. Uh, Most people have some type of concept of the story of Job. Whether saved or lost, they've heard about Job. Job 21 verse 7, the Bible says these words. This is Job. This is Job speaking. He says, wherefore do the wicked live and become old, yea, are mighty in power. Their seed is established in their sight with them, and their offspring before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear, neither is the rod of God upon them. Their bull gendereth, felleth not, their cow calveth, casteth not her calf. They send forth their little ones like a flock, and their children dance. They take the timbrel and harp and rejoice at the sound of the organ. They spend their days in wealth and in a moment go down to the grave. Therefore they say unto God, depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve him? What profit should we have if we pray unto him? Tonight I want to minister uh, this this evening and as I was here today collecting my thoughts and typing things out, I thought, man, I just really don't have much to say. And then I realized I had my paper set on legal size. <laughs> um, I want to minister tonight for a little while <laughs> in legal size form <clears throat> on the title of the song that I sing the course of tonight. We'll understand it better by and by. We'll understand it better by and by father i come to you right now i appreciate your spirit god that you have so graciously lord blessed with us lord this morning god i thank you for that but god this is another time this is another service god we've gathered together so to speak at the master's table pray god that you would help us lord in our lives god through and by your word I pray, oh God, grant understanding and enlightenment, Jesus, tonight. God, each and every individual under the sound of my voice, I hope, God, that when they leave, they'll be able to leave with something, God, that has been applicable, Lord, for their life. And I thank you and love you for it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. The church say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight. We'll understand it better by and by. The book of Job. The book of Job captures a segment of Job's life when his circumstances and his surroundings were less than ideal. He describes this period of time as being a time, as he states in scriptures, as when he sewed sackcloth on his skin. Sackcloth, sackcloth, that that material that through the Old Testament times and even into the New that indicated a, a time of mourning time of grief a time of humility but for job he's seen things in such a dire situation at this moment of time in his life he didn't describe it as though just a garment that was draped around his shoulders he said it was sewn 
unto my skin. He's seen this moment of time in his life where it felt like it would be permanent. He felt like something was not going to be shaken from him. It could not be laid aside. It was going to be there for a while. In that same verse, he makes mention that his horn, or if you will, his power and his strength was defiled in the dust. They were abased. They were brought down low. His strength and power was gone from him because he was experiencing a less than ideal time in his life. Has ever, anybody ever experienced a less than ideal time in your own life? It was never revealed to Job nor was it revealed to his friends why Job suffered as he did during this period of time of his life. Uh, you and I, being on the outside of the story, as, with, as goes with the Bible, we have the advantage of the whole scene of scriptures. We have the advantage of seeing what was happening in the heavenlies. We have the advantage of seeing what was taking place on the earth. But not Job and not his friends. We know to certain degrees that Satan up in the heavens was accusing the righteous of being faithful to God only for what they could get out of God. In other words, that he was accusing those that following the Lord that their faithfulness to God was based upon his faithfulness to them. And as a result of that, there was a contest as it was or a dispute that was happening in the heavens. And as a result, everything that played out in the life of Job would take place upon the earth as a result of the dispute or the contest that was happening between Satan and God. Job and his friends, though, they were unaware of what was taking place in the heavens. They are unaware of what was happening. And as a result, being human... Human as we are, both of these groups of people then wanted to scrutinize the suffering that was Job was going through. And they wanted to look for some causes and they wanted to look for the solution to his dilemma. They wanted to put all the pieces together and know the why behind his suffering. The unanswered question in the book of Job, even in our life, I would say the unanswered question is this, why do the righteous suffer? Why do bad things happen to good people? If we can put it in that type of terminology. That seems to be the question that Job is asking. That seems to be the question that his friends are talking about. But never through the whole Bible of Job or the book of Job do you ever see that question answered. God never answers the question why there was the righteous and why they were suffering. If I can from my own vantage point tonight to tell you this, I've seen righteous people suffer and I've seen wicked people suffer. I've seen people suffer because they were in the will of God and I've seen people suffer because they were out of the will of God. I've seen people suffer because of their own choices and I've seen people suffer where no choice they made, amen, made was any contribution to their suffering. I've seen people suffer for various times and various reasons and what I'm basically getting at is this, you cannot list one reason for suffering and then draw a very bold line to that one thing and say, that is the reason why the righteous suffer. 
The book of Job is probably best illustrated or lived out in Deuteronomy 29, 29. If you hear anything, write that verse down. You need it for your life. Because if you ever come to me with the words, Pastor, I don't know why this is happening or what I'm going through. You know what? There's a good chance I might not know either. But I take confidence in this verse. I believe this is the illustration of the book of the Job because the Bible says the secret things belong to the Lord our God. And there's just some things that God does because he's sovereign. And there might not, doesn't necessarily have to be a human reason attached to it. There doesn't necessarily have to be a human association attached to it. God, just the secret things belong to the Lord. And be as it may, that may be the case. But our human nature, everybody say our human nature. Our human nature struggles when there isn't an answer. Our human nature struggles whenever something enters the column of the unexplainable in our life. We want to know the reason. We want to know the whys. And as a matter of fact, the majority of the chapters and the verses in the book of Job are the reasonings and the strugglings of him and his friends trying to explain the suffering that he was going through from the viewpoint of he and his friends, which was nothing, and and careful as I say this, they were looking at that viewpoint through their eyes that were ignorant because they didn't know everything that was at play. His friends were on one side saying Job I just want you to know this is all happening because there's some morbid sin in your life you've done something crazy wrong and that's the reason all of this is brought upon you and we never see in scripture scripture Job lays him in the dust the Bible lays him in the dust he owns the fact that he's not perfect Job owns the fact and even attested the fact you know what I probably do got some sin that's in my life but he seems to be battling with something in the chapter that I read to you tonight he can't escape how wonderfully the wicked seem to flourish he's considering his own life his uprightness and living rightly before the Lord and then he begins to ponder the wicked and according to Job they seem to flourish can I tell us as a body and a group of people tonight that it is a common side effect of suffering That suffering will cause you to estimate the status of everyone else around you as being better than you when you're suffering. A side effect of suffering is this. You'll view through a lens everybody else's life that they are better than yours. They have it more well off than you do. As though they've had a silver spoon that's been laid to their mouth that that privilege was not given to you and you did not give it. Your your theology, your mindset will be they have it good. They don't have it as bad as I do. That's That's a side effect of suffering. We may think that. We may say that. And more than anything, it will plague your perception of the wicked. When you go through suffering, it will plague your perception of the wicked. And you'll start thinking thoughts like, well, the grass is always greener for the wicked. Their pockets are always fuller, the wicked. Their lives are always blessed, the wicked. But I'm trying to live upright. I'm trying to do what is honorable in the sight of the Lord. But the wicked, their life is blessed. They'll have more than I ever have. And I'm a child of God. Their family has it all together. All this is side effects of suffering they get to walk among the rose petals and I gotta walk among the thorns it's a side effect of suffering 
even for a child of God to view the wickedness of men and have a perception of their wickedness and their way of life of being better than your own though you be a child of God. I take the advice whenever I listen to the words of Solomon as he wrote the Proverbs and in the process of writing Proverbs Solomon was a backslidden child of God. He's a backslidden child of God. And so this comes from his lips. These come from his pen. When he writes Proverbs 23, verse 17, he says, let not thine heart envy sinners. This is coming from a backslider. Someone hear me right now. This is coming from someone who was a child of God but have skewed off the path. He said, do not, do not let your heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. Verse 18, for surely there is an end. And he says, thine expectation shall not be cut off. Because as an expectation of a child of God, this is the way that I believe most of us would would believe and even new converts a lot of times believe that they'll come to God and the way is just going to be made smooth. Everything's going to be fine. There's not going to be no thorns or thistles to contend with. Our expectation is everything's going to be good now because I'm living for the Lord. Everything's going to be fine and great now because I'm giving my life to his purpose. Everything's going to be tremendous. But what happens is suffering enters our life and we begin to think the life that we are living is not as good as the world is living not as prosperous as the world is living but the backslider said listen I've been saved and I've been unsaved don't you for one minute envy the heart envy the life of sinners for they have their end in other words he's saying don't allow your mentality don't you allow your spirit to be skewed by what seems to be prospering all around you that's just a side effect of your suffering I've been on both ends of this stick don't envy every sinner that goes by you they have their end your expectation of goodness and greatness and tremendous times that's not going to be cut off someone say amen don't envy sinners don't envy the wicked because what will happen if you begin to envy them in their life and the wickedness and the sin, you will shift from your expectation being eternal to your expectation having a temporal focus. Uh-huh. If you envy sinners, then all that you will view is the car and the house, the job and the money, the health of body and the soundness of mind. He said, but the expectation that a child of God has supersedes that of the natural and enters into the supernatural. It supersedes that of the temporal and it goes into the eternal. Hallelujah, when things are bad for you, if you have that idea that they have it better off than you do, you'll begin to look at your own life and through your own life think, man, this is just not as good as it can be. There's something better. Someone say amen. Not only will it bring a temporal focus, but it'll also create an appetite in you for those things that can only offer instant gratification. Whenever James wrote his book, the first pastor of the Jerusalem church, he made reference back to Job, and he says, and you've heard of the patience. The patience of Job. 
I'm talking about a patience tonight that doesn't just endure through your time of suffering, but a patience that endures to the end. Someone say amen. What is it that happened to Job to have this jaded view? Many of us may know it, but we read in scripture that the Sabians came and stole Job's oxen. The Bible says the fire of God burned up Job's sheep that the Chaldeans came and stole Job's camels, that a great wind destroyed his eldest son's house and took the lives of Job's sons and the lives of Job's daughters. And all of this happened to Job, and yet God offered no explanation. And it's the no explanation that caused the human nature in Job to become ensnared with the what if game. I'm living upright. The Lord even called him perfect. And this is happening to me. I wonder what would have happened if I wasn't living for God. And I wasn't making sacrifices every morning for my kids. And I was just living the life that everybody else lived. I wonder if I would have still had my camels if I just lived the life of the world. Wonder if I still had my sheep if I just lived the life of the world. He began to play the what if came then with his life. And he, we see then his ponderings in Job 21. He begins to say, here's the wicked. The wicked live. The wicked grow old. And throughout their life, they seem to be strong. They seem to be mighty in power. He goes through this list of ways that it seems that the wicked have it good. Everything's just going their way. And you gotta understand, and I'll point out why this just hits strikes such a sore spot with Job. He says their seed, speaking of the wicked seed, they're established and their offspring is with them. You know what Job's saying? He's saying their their seed, they're there. They have their kids and even their grandkids, but I've lost my children. The wicked's got their kids and grandkids, but I've lost my sons and I've lost my daughters. He says, the wicked, their houses are safe. He said, but there's a wind that came and struck my eldest son's house and brought a bunch of this calamity. Why is all of this God? He said, the rod of God is absent from the wicked. There's no correction, it seems, that takes place there. But daily, I feel the rod of God upon my back and upon my shoulders. Why is this the case? He said, their livestock are profitable. They gendereth, they calveth, they have their young, they're all there and accounted for, but I've lost camels, I've lost sheep, I've lost goats, I've lost everything, I've lost all my livestock, but not the wicked, they have that and the more, the Bible says, he said, the wicked, their children are happy, they're dancing, they got their timbrels, they got a song of joy, he says, but my children, they're silent, they're in the grave now, I don't hear their voices, I don't hear their rejoicing, the wicked, they're wealthy, but every Everything that I have has seemingly been stripped away from me. And he said, in a moment, the wicked go down in the grave. You know what Job was saying? It seems like that they just die, but the righteous, they are painstakingly going through a long, drawn out death with disease and heartache that's taken them to the grave. Why? Someone say amen. But then he says in verse 14, speaking of the wicked, I have all this this going for them. 
Everything's well for them. Therefore, they say, the wicked say unto God, depart from us. For we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. In other words, Job says, because they got all this that's going for them, they look to God and they're telling God, Lord, we don't have any need for you in your ways because we got our livestock. We got our children. We got our wealth. We got our riches. We got the health of our body. God, we don't desire to be knowledgeable of your ways because what more does a person need? Why do they need a God when they got everything that they got? The church of Laodicea had a similar, similar striking and tone in their voice whenever they said they didn't have need of anything. They said, we have need of nothing. They didn't have need of anything whenever concerned a material sense. They boasted about being rich and they boasted about being increased with goods and having need of nothing. And therefore, might I say, they said unto God, God, we don't need any knowledge of your ways. We have our riches. We have our goods. We don't need anything. We read in the Bible, though, throughout the scripture, the Bible says that men, one generation would follow the ways of another generation whether it be a king or a mother or a father we talk about children that walked in the ways of their mother or children that walked in the ways of their father or in the ways of their king whether it was good or whether it was evil they walked in the ways for as a matter of fact Solomon even said twice in the Proverbs that there is a way that seemeth right unto man but the end or I say the end thereof are the ways of death he said the end thereof are the ways of death he said there's a way that seemeth right but the end is not as right as the beginning seemed someone say amen in other words you don't judge a way by its beginning you don't judge a way by its middle you judge a way by its end the best way to evaluate an, a way is by its end Deuteronomy, the book of remembrance, constantly tells us and told Israel that Israel, you gotta walk, you gotta walk in God's ways. You gotta walk in his ways. So much so that the psalmist David recorded in Psalms 25 and verse four, he said, shew me thy ways, O Lord, and teach me thy paths. He said, show me thy ways. The word ways meaning show me your manner of life. Show me your lifestyle. Its most basic definition is this. Show me your road, O Lord, and teach me thy paths. Now, there's a difference between a way and a path. A way is a road. A path is a well-worn road. This is directly from the Greek or from the Hebrew. One is a road. Another is a well-trodden or a well-worn road. David in the Psalms, he contrasts the wicked. David, the wicked are saying, we don't need to know your ways. But David says, I want to know your ways, Lord. Show me them and even teach me your paths. Teach me the well-worn roads. Jeremiah 6.16, the scripture says, thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. 
in. In other words, he didn't just want the road, but he wanted a well-worn, well-trodden road. Folks, whenever we talk about righteousness, when we talk about purity, when we talk about salvation, we're not just talking about a road. We're talking about a well-trodden road. We're talking about a well-worn road. Amen. Not just roads in this life, but well-trodden roads in this life. David had lived long enough to understand one thing very well, that the way a man chooses the path, the way that one chooses and the paths that they walk in determines one's destiny. The choice of your path, the choice of your way determines your destiny. And so the wicked are crying out in Job 15, the verse 15, what is the Almighty? Why should we serve the Almighty? Why, what should we profit if we should pray to the Almighty? They're basically saying this, what is our purpose or reason of acquainting ourselves with God when we have everything that we have? What could he, he offer us in serving him or praying to him that we don't already have? What is the Almighty? What does he have, amen, that we don't yet got? We read of another, another place of this in Exodus 5 and verse 2. The Bible says that Moses and Aaron entered the pomp and the prestige of the palace of Pharaoh. And they're telling Pharaoh, let God's people go. And Pharaoh says, who's the Lord? That I should obey his voice. He's saying, I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. They're saying, let the people go for their feast. But he's saying, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know the Lord. I don't know who the Lord is. You're gonna have to acquaint me with him. Give me a reason why I should let them go because I don't know the Lord. You know why Pharaoh didn't know the Lord? Because he depended upon the fineries of Egypt. He had his palace. He had his gold and silver. Egypt was a very great place of imports. Everything came upon the banks of Egypt. He had all that. So he was just like the wicked. I don't need to have a knowledge of his ways. And so he didn't know the Lord because of all the splendor that he had in a lifetime at Egypt. Can someone say amen? Because something happens if you were to become acquainted with God, separated from what you got in this life. Jesus told the woman at the well that come to draw water, he said, if thou knewest the gift of God, but then he goes a little further, and who it is that saith to thee, if you knew the gift of God and if you knew who I was, you would ask of me waters to drink and I would give you some living water and you would never thirst again. Why doesn't she know him? Because she depended upon everything else in her life. So she says, there's no reason for me to know the ways of the Lord. Someone say amen. So as Job's going through all this, he comes to a place as he's thinking upon the prosper, the prospering of the wicked. And he comes to one place that he just realizes in verse 21 as he begins to consider man, wicked and righteous, that men will die and man will die. But the wicked man will die and both the good man will die. He goes on to verse 23 and he says, you know what? There's going to be some people that's going to die when they're full of strength. There's still a lot of vitality and health and Moses seemed to be such a man. The Bible said that his eye had not even grown dim. They're going to, they're going to grow dead in the full strength of their life with all the vitality that they have. But he described there's going to be other people that's going to die in the bitterness of their soul. They're going to have the worst set of circumstances. They're going to be glad to leave, so to speak. Suffering is going to have to be in their lifetime 
time and their place and they're going to have suffered a lot and they're going to die. And so Job's saying, you know what? Death is a great equalizer. Let me tell you something. Death is a great equalizer. Death's a great equalizer because whenever they're under that earth, the only thing that can say anything of what they had on this earth is the monument that stands there. Death is a great equalizer. I've seen riches and the pauper buried side by side. Death is a great equalizer. It sets all men, regardless of their race, regardless of their status in life, it puts all men level in the dust. It is a great equalizer. But Job goes on and begins to think in verse number 30. He says, but the wicked, when I think again concerning the wicked, he said the wicked are reserved for destruction. The wicked are reserved for the day of wrath. And he goes on in verse 32, and he says they, speaking of the wicked, he says the wicked are brought to the grave and they remain in the tomb and what just happened in that moment was an epiphany if you will for Job he clearly got what God had to offer that the wicked did not get and that was this is that the wicked they go to the grave and they remain in the tomb but the righteous go to the grave The righteous go to the grave, but that's not their final note. That's not their end. That's not the last of their story. They don't remain. Someone say amen in the tomb. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. If the most hope that we have is in this life concerning Christ, we die a miserable group of people. And that's how the wicked die, only having hope in this life for Christ. But those that are a child of God, blood-bought, infused with his spirit, when they go to the grave they still have a hope in Christ that's beyond this present life that we're living in Something began to change at that moment in time. Let me tell you, I believe Job didn't need to know why he was suffering. I don't think Job needed to know why things were going bad, why the, uh, why the camels were taken and the sons and daughters were taken because he had a moment. We're both going to be leveled in the dust, but that's where their story ends and mine keeps on carrying on. I still have hope beyond the grave. The wicked's going to die and remain in the tomb, but I'm going to be raptured one of these days. I'm going to be resurrected to be with the Lord. Riches, goods, wealth, all that fine and dandy. The Bible tells us of a New Testament story. Mary and Martha, they are sisters. They are attending to the Lord. The Lord comes to their house for a meal. They're tending to the Lord. Martha's careful. She's troubled about many things. And the Bible says that Mary sought the good part. Amen. That shall not be taken away from her. And Jesus called it this. It was the one thing that was needful. It was the one thing that was needful. It was the part that would not be taken away from her. 
I can believe that Job maybe is pondering all these things. You know what? The riches, they've been taken away from me in this present life. When they die, they'll be taken away from them. Their kids, they've been taken away from me in this present life, but whenever they die, they are in virtue, taken away from them. There's nothing that they have right now that won't be taken away from them in the moment of their death. But whenever I die, Whenever I die, I leave my house, I leave my family, I leave my car, I leave my riches, but there's still that spirit, there's still that spirit that's inside of me. Oh, someone say yes. So I tell you tonight, I can't tell you why some of the wicked suffer and why some don't. I can't tell you why why some Christians suffer and why some Christians don't. But I can tell you about the end. I can't tell you all about the beginning and I can't tell you all about the middle, but I can tell you about the end. The wicked go to the grave and remain, but the righteous go to the grave and remain there just for a little while. That's the reason why you can't judge your experience. You can't judge this life just over a moment. You gotta look down at the end. Someone say yes. I don't got the answers for all the journey the peaks and the valleys along the, the way. But if you want to talk about wicked righteous, I'll tell you about the end. I don't know, Brother Mason. Outside the rich man not even giving him any crumbs from his table. I don't know why Lazarus in his lifetime was tormented. I don't know. I don't know the answer why the rich man was seemingly comforted I tell you about the end. That when both died, woo, that the angels came and got Lazarus. When the rich man died, they had a proper funeral and he was handled by the hands of humanity. But when Lazarus died, the angels he was handled by the hands of the super I can't tell you about every peak and valley of that trip but I know in the afterlife the Bible says this that Lazarus was comforted hallelujah and the rich man was tormented in the end We'll understand it better. By and by. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. I can tell you, Job is not the only one listed and enumerated in Scripture that dealt with this unresolved question like Job did. Like Job had, why, why do the righteous suffer constant battling with that? 
playing the what if game wondering if they should choose other sides perhaps it'd be more profitable when you think that you're judging the matter on a moment than on a lifetime you get tunnel vision you get tunnel vision you're living for the day rather than living for eternity David had some similar questions whenever he surveyed concerning the wicked he admitted that what he took in and saw that his feet were almost gone he said my steps were nigh slipped the Bible says it's because he was envious now Solomon maybe what Solomon brings to us the scriptures is even something he learned from daddy don't envy sinners because whenever dad became envious of sinners sinners his foot almost even slipped he almost lost it. He played the what-if what game so much, he almost changed horses mid-journey. The Bible says, whenever he looked at them and he seen the wicked, wicked in Psalm 73, he says, the wicked were prosperous. Sounds like Job. He says, they die without the brutalities in their death of disease and other things. He says, they are not in trouble as others, the wicked. He said, they're not plagued as others. The wicked, that's just, folks, it's just side effects of suffering. It's just side effects of suffering that cause us to see that. He says they have more, the wicked have more than a person could ever want. The wicked. He said they prosper in the world and they prosper in riches. The wicked. But he says in verse 17, he said, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I there in. Whenever David got to God's house and he set his affections on those things that were above, he understood something he didn't understand before. Now listen to me. David didn't say, I understand now everything I just mentioned, why they're prospering, why everything's going their way, why to have everything it seems like a person could want. I understand that. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that he understands why they're not plagued. He understands why they're not in trouble. He understands why there's not some gruesome, violent, amen, disease taking their body in death. No, he didn't say any of that. He didn't say he understood how the wicked succeeded and how the righteous seemed to scrape by. He didn't say that at all. What David said was this. I know why the righteous suffer. He said, I understood the wicked kids end he said I didn't I'm not saying I understand the success of their beginning I'm not saying I understand the successes of their life lived on this earth he says but I understand everything when I look at the end of the matter We won't understand it. It will, it will somehow confuse us and mess with our minds if we look at it along the journey. But that's not where we need to look. We need to look at the end. We need to... Mm, we, there are too many children of God that have forfeited their relationship with God because they judge the matter in the middle. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, I believe it is, it says to judge nothing before the time. 
Don't judge it where you presently are. <laughs> Don't give your conclusion on the matter at this segment in the journey. Don't judge it by its beginning. Don't judge it by its middle. If you're going to judge it, judge it by its end. Job says, if I were to give a verdict right now in my life, I tell you, it's not worth it. If I give a verdict right now in my life, I tell you, I've sacrificed it all and didn't get anything in return. But I'm not going to judge it by where I am right now. I'm not going to judge it by what my emotions are telling me right now. I'm going to judge it by the end. By the oh yes. Don't envy sinners, for surely there is an end. But your expectation is not going to be cut off. The wicked's going to go to the grave. You will go to the grave. And if the Lord tarries, the wicked will remain in the tomb. But you won't. I've shared I believe this with you one time. But Bishop, Bishop Wilson used to have a saying. Probably still does. He's alive. But this was his saying. He would all time say this. I've heard him say it more than one time. He said, it'll be all right in the end. And if it's not all right, then it's not the end. He'll be all right in the end. And if right now in this second of life, it's not all right, don't worry. It's not the end yet either. Folks, the purpose of the book of Job was not for him and for his friends to solve the mystery of the question of life, why the righteous suffer. It wasn't to teach them a lesson even that at the end of this all, Job, I'm not talking about death, but even before death, it wasn't to teach the lesson because the Bible says that Job was blessed in the latter end of his life more than he was in the former. He had double of, of his camels and double of everything that he had. It's not to teach as well if you just endure and if you have patience if you're suffering right now you're going to get double that's not the lesson because let me tell you every person that's ever suffered hasn't already sometimes before they died received double of what they had that's not that's not the lesson Sorry, I didn't mean to put a cloud of doubt and doom and despair. Man, I've, I've used that as my lesson all my life. I'm suffering right now, but God's going to give me double. That's not the lesson. Because it don't happen for everyone. So the lesson wasn't to answer the question, why do we suffer? The lesson of Job wasn't to teach us we get double. Double for our trouble is, used to be the old phraseology. Well, that's a bunch of hogwash. Double for our trouble. Somebody's talking schmack. It's not the lesson of Job. Job's lesson was this, Bishop, somewhere around chapter 19, verse 25. Job says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth verse 26 and though after my skin worms my skin words destroy this body in other words after I go to the grave while the wicked remain in the tomb yet in my flesh I shall 
says, you don't have to tell me why I'm suffering right now as long as I know it'll all be all right in the end. You don't have to give me the answer to my suffering right now as long as I know the outcomes in my favor in the We're going to understand it better, folks. Bye. Musicians come. I'm getting tired. Listen to the writer as it was, and you can stand with me. We'll understand it better. By and by. You know what God did through the book of Job? He drew a man and his friends closer to a place of trust in the higher power. They didn't have the answer, but they trusted in the higher power. Knowing that he would not let their expectation of goodness, greatness, and tremendousness be cut off. It may feel as though it was cut off in their lifetime, but not in their after lifetime. Listen, if you will, and I'll just be a poet here for a moment. That's what a lot of the old songs were, just lyrical poetry. He said, we are tossed and driven on the restless sea of time. Somber skies and howling tempests all succeed a bright sunshine. In that land, a perfect day, when the midst are rode away, we will understand it better by and by. We are all destitute of the things that life demands. One of food, one of shelter, thirsty hills and barren lands. We are trusting in the Lord and according to God's word, we will understand it better by and by. Trials dark on every hand. We cannot understand. All the ways of God would lead us to that blessed promised land. But he guides us with his eye and we follow till we die. For we'll understand it better by and by. Temptations hidden stairs often take us unawares. And our hearts are made to bleed for a thoughtless word or deed. And we wonder why the test when we try to do our best. But we'll understand it better by and by, by and by. When the morning comes, when all the saints of God be gathered home, we will tell the story and how we have overcome and we'll understand it better. That's the reason why the wrinkled, feeble lips of saints that have had their share of heartache in their, this life and even in their departure, they say, don't cry for me. <laughs> they say, don't cry for me. Don't cry over my pain. Don't cry over my agony. Don't cry, cry over my losses because I'm going to the grave, but I'm not going to remain in the tomb. Oh, someone shout hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Let's lift our hands right now to the Lord. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.